Hey, if uh, you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52 and 53, 700 years before the cross. Isaiah was given a vision by God of the details of the price that Jesus would pay, a price that we need to remember as we do here at communion, because the greatest gifts are the ones easiest to take for granted. But these reminders change the way we see God. They change the way we see ourselves. They actually change the way we live. In Isaiah 52, this portion known as the suffering servant, Isaiah was given this vision of Jesus. Here's what he wrote. Isaiah 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. And just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray together. Father, these are striking words, completely fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And so many times in our world of sanitized sacrifice and bloodless crosses, we we forget the price that was paid for our sin and forgiveness. Today, Lord, as we come to this table of remembrance, I'm praying that you will open our eyes and hearts so that we can remember again, very vividly as Isaiah saw, the price that Jesus paid. God, may that change us. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was born in 1952. I'll save you the math. I'm 64. And uh, in the 1950s, my dad earned about $3 an hour working as a machinist in East Hartford, Connecticut. That's about $6,000 a year, which, by the way, in the 1950s was an average working wage for a guy like my dad. So there wasn't a lot of extra. 
Uh, after paying rent, carpool expense, food, utilities, and care and clothing for three growing boys, even with my mom working, there was not a lot extra. Which might help you understand a little bit why I still remember and am deeply grateful for a gift they got me when I was about eight or nine years old in the 850s, in the late 50s. It was a bike. And not just any bike, it was a brand new bike, a Murray, 26 inch. And not just a bike. It had a mirror, it had baskets on the back, it had a horn, and a really cool speedometer. And it was a multi-speed bike, because it could go as slow or as fast as I could pedal it. <laughs> this was a really nice bike. I knew that my parents had paid a lot of money for that. It probably cost them a day or two of their wages. I had no idea how they afforded it. But I always remember how grateful I was, because even at eight or nine years old, I understood this is not a bike I could have gotten on my own. And my parents paid a lot for me to have it. And so I took care of that bike. And over those years, I kept it. It was the only bike I would ever have. And I kept it until I bought my first car. You know, I was thinking about this uh, this week when I was reading in Isaiah 52 and 53 about the price Jesus paid. Because when you really appreciate a gift and you know you couldn't get it on your own and there was a great sacrifice behind the gift, it changes the way you see the gift. It changes the way you see the giver. And it could even change the way you live. You know, in a similar but much more profound way, I feel that way when I come to the communion table. By God's grace today, I'll have a chance to participate in this four times today. But I can assure you, each and every time I come to this, it's fresh and new and rich. It's like it's never happened before. And when I come to this table, I'm remembering what Jesus paid for my salvation. And by the way, it didn't cost Jesus much for my salvation. It cost him everything. everything. Communion is our remembrance of the death of Jesus and the price he paid for our salvation. We've said every communion that it's a memorial meal. Eating this won't get you forgiven. This won't earn you any grace. It won't get you into heaven. The only way to be saved from what sin has done to separate us from God is by faith coming into relationship with God, believing that the work of Jesus on that cross was sufficient payment, that his death, burial, and resurrection was our guarantee. And that Christ is alive, and by inviting Christ into our lives and accepting that payment, our sins are forgiven. We're brought into relationship with God, and we have life. Eating this meal won't do that for you. But eating this meal can bring us to remember with a new gratitude the horrific price that Jesus paid for our forgiveness. You see, sin has a staggering cost. That's why Paul told the Romans in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. God is life. To be separated from God is the very definition of death. Sin is what separates us from God's life. And if we die with that sin still in our lives unforgiven, it'll separate us from God forever. Sin brings death to all. There are no exceptions. 
That's why Paul told the Romans in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why he told them in Romans 5, therefore all die because all have sinned. Physical death, spiritual death, and eventually eternal death. That's what sin does. The cost of sin is horrendous. And it affects all of us, and we all die, unless there is someone who loves us enough to pay the penalty for our sin, to pay our death, and take it in our place. And that someone is Jesus. And so powerful is the love that was willing to take our death that God speaks of it from Genesis to Revelation. That's why we should not be surprised that great prophets like Isaiah are being given a vision by God of the details of the cross and the price that the Savior would pay. And 700 years later, it was fulfilled to the letter. Isaiah said in verse 4, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Communion reminds us of the price Jesus paid to save us from our sins. And what did that price include? As Isaiah revealed, it was physical pain, emotional pain, and a spiritual and physical death. Jesus paid our price by suffering physical pain. This is why Isaiah wrote as he did in chapter 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. And so he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him, for what they were not told they will see, and what they have not heard they will understand. 2004, actor-producer Mel Gibson brought to the screen a movie called The Passion of the Christ. If you haven't seen it, I want to caution you. It's very graphic. People have said that is the most accurate depiction of the suffering of Jesus ever put in film. But you need to know that what was depicted in that film doesn't even come close to the reality of what Jesus suffered. Isaiah said in chapter 52, verse 14, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. And his form marred beyond human likeness. He went on to say in chapter 53, verse 4, that he was pierced, he was crushed, and he was wounded for our transgressions. You see, many times what we forget is that on the cross, all the sufferings of Jesus was him enduring wrath, the fullness of wrath. It wasn't just the wrath of men like the religious leaders who hated him and wanted to see him dead. That was part of it. 
there was also satanic wrath being poured out on Jesus at the cross. Satan hated Jesus and was trying to destroy him. But it was also the wrath of God that was being poured out on Jesus. The wrath of God that must be poured out upon sin. And God poured out his wrath as Jesus bore our sins. The fullness of wrath of man, of Satan, and of God was tearing him at the cross. Physically, Jesus was exhausted. He'd come off a full day of ministry, a last supper with his disciples, and now a night of no sleep. When he was brought to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, a mock trial gave people opportunity to blindfold him, keep punching him in the face, spitting on him, and beating his face to a pulp. His eyes were most likely swollen, his lips were bleeding. And then when they were through with him, they took him to Pilate. There was a pit in the bottom of Caiaphas's house. It was kind of like a basement, just carved out of the rock. Today there's a little stair that goes down into it so people can go down and experience just for a moment where Jesus was held after he was beaten. But they would have just dropped him in a hole down there in the dark. I've been in that chamber and I've led a prayer meeting there. I cannot even begin to imagine what Jesus was suffering. When they took him to Pilate, he was publicly humiliated. Hours passed, he was stripped, he was mocked, he was beaten again and again. And then the scourging. The whipping with a leather whip laced with bone and lead and pottery. Experts from the day, historians have said that it was the kind of a punishment that was designed to so destroy a human body that inner organs would be visible from the outside. Psalm 22 adds, all my bones are out of joint. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Is it any wonder they needed Simon to carry his cross? And what did Jesus say at the Last Supper to his disciples? This is for you. This is for you. And it wasn't just the physical pain. Jesus paid our price by suffering emotional pain. It's very interesting. 53, chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Carla and I don't go to a lot of movies at the theater. We go once in a while when there's something good to watch. Most of the movies in there, my opinion, are mind pollution, but you might see it different. I'm a bit weird on that stuff. And uh, therefore, I don't watch the Academy Awards because I don't know the actors and I usually don't know the movies. But one time, I caught the tail end of an Academy Awards show and I was struck by what I was seeing. All these beautiful people, I mean beautiful people, perfectly made up, gorgeous clothes, red carpet treatment, limos, the whole bit. People gathered around snapping pictures of these folks. Beautiful people. And as I watched that, what struck me was the thought, Jesus, you, you made all these people, and yet you would never have been invited to be among them because you're not one of the beautiful people. You see, the God of the universe chose to experience humanity as a homely, common, plain, undesirable man. Did you catch the details of Isaiah's description? Isaiah 53, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Like a little weed growing in a dry patch that people stomp on or pick up and throw away, there was nothing to even notice about his being there. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You have never seen a picture accurately painted or drawn or portrayed of the real Jesus. Most of them look like some stunning Hollywood lead man. That was not Jesus. No beauty or majesty to attract us. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him like one from men who, who hide their faces. He's like one from whom men hide their faces. A less than average, probably homely, unattractive, ordinary man. You see, his beauty would come from a different place. It would come from within. But very few people would take the time to see it. And they weren't just hiding their faces and despising him and no beauty or majesty when he hung like pulp on a, on a cross. Isaiah was careful to say he grew up like that. He grew up like that. So what was it like in his neighborhood? How much ridicule did he face from his peers when he was in high school? The ugly kid down at the carpenter shop? How much rejection did he face in his life simply because of the way he looked? 
I don't know. But Isaiah said he was despised and rejected. A man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. People, I don't know what you're going through in your life, but I can guarantee you this. You haven't and you won't face anything in this life that Jesus hasn't experienced. What does the Bible say? He can sympathize with our weakness. Boy, can he ever. You see, Jesus chose to relate to all of us to feel what the most broken feel, what the most despised feel, what the most rejected feel. He is, he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. You see, part of the price that Jesus paid to experience the fullness of humanity was to suffer rejection, betrayal, ridicule, and shame. And what did he say to the disciples at the Last Supper? To all of us, this is for you. All of this is for you. But it wasn't just a physical and emotional pain. Jesus paid our price by suffering physical and spiritual death. Isaiah said in chapter 53, verse 4, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've shared with you before that in the Psalms, there's a trilogy of Psalms that present the whole life of Jesus. Psalm 22, 23, and 24, written by David. Psalm 22 is the psalm of the Savior. It begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 23 is the psalm of the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 24 is the psalm of the sovereign or the king. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Open up your gates and let the king of glory come in. The psalm of the Savior, the psalm of the shepherd, the psalm of the sovereign. In Psalm 22, it begins with the words, the psalm of the Savior begins with the words that Jesus would cry from the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? They were the words that every human being would be crying out if he had not taken our place. You see, the wages of sin is death, physical, physical death for sure, but much more than that, spiritual death. It's a separation from God. You can go to church, get baptized, take communion, teach Sunday school, read your Bible, make a pilgrimage, be a missionary, be a pastor. You can do all of that stuff and it won't save you. You have to come into relationship with God. You have to have that sin forgiven by the blood of, and sacrifice of Jesus. You've got to invite Christ into your life and let him take residence there. You've got, you got to accept his payment. 
The wages of sin is death. There is a spiritual death, a separation from God. Jesus died physically for sure, but he took that spiritual death too in ways you and I cannot imagine. Because you see, when he was on the cross, he bore my sin and your sin and the sin of the world. And for the only time in history, the Godhead, the triunity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three that are one, the inexplicable essence of God himself was split. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit turned away from God the Son as he bore the sin of the world. That separation was the agony of death that Jesus took in our place. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, abandoned me, left me, separated from me? Isaiah said he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions is every act of willful or ignorant breach of God's holy law. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin, all of it. In fact, Isaiah said, and God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. That means the penalty of every act of lust, all greed and immorality was laid on Jesus. The penalty for all adultery and betrayal and lies was laid on Jesus. The penalty for all pride and selfishness and anger and hatred and murder and abortion, all sin, all iniquity, all transgressions was laid upon him, and he took it. And mine was there, and so was yours. Every sin I've ever committed or will commit was laid on him, and he died with it. He took my death in my place so we could live see, that's why people like the Apostle Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners, when he finally came to understand what God has done, what they were not told they will see, what they have not heard they will understand. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or how about Peter in 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Or in 1 Peter 2, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The very words Isaiah spoke. Or how about Paul in Romans 5, verse 6? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what did Jesus tell the disciples at the Last Supper? This is for you. 
this is for you. The physical pain, the emotional pain, the spiritual and physical death, it's for you. Has it really changed the way we live? Apparently so. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book some years ago, pastor, he was president of Dallas Seminary for a while. He, um, he wrote a book some years ago called Improving Your Serve. He was telling in there about a friend, a young man, friend of his named Aaron, not his real name, who was finishing up his spring semester of Bible college, getting ready to work for the summer to get back, go back for his last year. He had to earn money, so he was praying that God would give him a ministry that he could use this summer to impact people for Jesus. As the summer approached, he wasn't finding anything. He started getting desperate because he had to have money to go back to school, so he started driving a bus on the south side of Chicago. I worked off and on when I was in business on the south side of Chicago. I can tell you it's a lot worse today than it was then, and it wasn't a place you'd want to be riding the bus. Anyway, Swindoll said, a small gang of tough kids spotted the young driver, began to take advantage of him. They'd get on the bus, never pay, go sit in the back, harass the riders. They'd harass him, and it happened every day. So finally, he got fed up with it. Saw a policeman on the corner one day, so he stopped the bus, called the cop on board, and told him about the guys in the back. The cop got on and said, you boys need to pay or get off. So they paid, and the cop got off. Aaron wasn't sure exactly all that happened next. He said he started driving, he hadn't gotten very far, and they attacked him. And they beat him within an inch of his life. When he came to, blood was all over his shirt, two teeth were missing, both eyes were swollen, his money was gone, and the bus was empty. He returned to the terminal, began giving... Uh, which, and they gave him the weekend off. Aaron went to his apartment, sank into his bed, stared at the ceiling in disbelief, resentment, confusion, anger, and disillusionment came in. He had a fretful night wrestling with the Lord. How can this be? Where is God in all of this? I want to serve him. I prayed for a ministry, and this is what I get? Monday morning after that weekend, Aaron decided he was going to press charges, and with the help of the officer who had encountered the gang and several on the bus who had been witnesses, they got the names of these guys and arrested them all. And a short time later, they appeared in court. In walked Aaron and his attorney and the angry gang members who glared across the room in his direction, and suddenly he said, he was seized with a whole new emotion he didn't understand. It was not hatred for these men. It was compassion. And he was not angry at them. He felt pity for them. And he didn't know where it was coming from. They went through the trial. There was a plea of guilty. At the sentencing hearing, when sentence was passed, Aaron stood up and requested permission to speak. This is what he said. This is a quote. Your Honor, I would like you to total up all the days of punishment against these men, all the time sentenced against them, and I request that you allow me to go to jail in their place. Swindoll said the judge didn't know whether to spit or wind his watch. Both attorneys were stunned. 
And as Aaron looked over at the gang members whose mouths and eyes were like saucers, he simply said to them quietly, it's because I forgive you. The dumbfounded judge, when he reached a level of composure, said rather firmly, young man, you are out of order. This sort of thing has never been done before. To which the young man said, oh, yes, it has, your honor. Yes, it has. It happened over 19 centuries ago when a man from Galilee paid the penalty that all mankind deserved. And Swindoll said then, for the next three or four minutes, without interruption, in a totally quiet courtroom, Aaron stood there and told people how Jesus had paid his price. The difference it had made in his life. A difference it could make in everyone's life. The judge in the court could not grant his request. But Aaron continued to visit the gang members in jail. And he ended up leading most of them to Christ. And with those gang members who had come to Jesus, they and Aaron started a ministry together in the south side of Chicago, ministering to gangs and people of the street. Because they'd all been changed by the price Jesus paid. There's a hymn we want to sing at the close of our service at the end after we have communion, written by Alvina Hall. You've probably never heard of her. John T. Great provided the tune, but Alvina wrote the words. She was sitting in the choir loft one Sunday morning at her little Methodist church in Maryland. The pastor was talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. It was in 1865, near the end of the Civil War, she had been reflecting on the 600,000 Americans who had died in sacrifice in that war. And she said she sat there that Sunday morning in the choir loft behind the pastor. And it suddenly struck her what Jesus had paid. And the words to a hymn came to her, a words, words to a hymn that she wrote. Scratched down in a hymn book she was holding in her hand that Sunday morning. The chorus goes like this, and I'm not much of a singer. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This bread is my body, Jesus said. This cup is my blood. It's given for you. So as often as you eat it, remember me. Lord, that's what we're here to do. We're here remembering you, the price you paid that changes the way we live. 
as we break this bread and as we drink this cup. I hope you're honored. Thank you for all you are and all you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.